Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is David Walker. You can call me DW. I am joined by my co-host, the amazing and forever mad online, Gina Kelly. Gina, how are you doing? I'm doing great, David. Thanks. How are you? Fantastic. Uh, Our guest today is the manager and editor-in-chief of Blogging the Boys uh, and the host of the podcast, The Ocho and Monday Football Monday on the SB Nation Podcast Network. Uh, He is the one and only RJ Ochoa. RJ, how are you doing? I'm doing well, guys. It's always great to be with uh, with fellow humans, um, really, but uh, fellow <laughs> fellow good people, uh, with Falcons fans, people that have experienced heartache. Uh, I know I said this last time, I was at Super Bowl 51, and so I always feel a really special attachment to Falcons fans in that particular way. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a certain level of misery that you can probably <laughs> appreciate deeply. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's move past that. Um, today, we are obviously going to talk about the upcoming Falcons-Cowboys game in Dallas in week two, uh, so let's just jump straight to it. Um, both teams obviously started the 2020 season with a loss. Uh, the Falcons uh, did so in spectacular fashion, getting thrashed at home by the Seahawks. Uh, Cowboys went on the road and lost a tough one to the Rams with a little bit of controversy mixed in for good measure. Uh, so, RJ, what happened in game one for the Cowboys under new and improved head coach Mike McCarthy 2.0? Uh, well, um, I- I'll say, first of all, I did not find the end to be controversial, which was an opinion that I, uh, I got a little bit dragged for. I, I-, I thought Ooh. that was fine. You know, I- that- I've seen that be offensive pass interference a lot, and so I, I really wasn't that upset about it. Uh, but in terms of what happened, uh, I'll, I'll answer that this way. There, there are a lot of Cowboys fans this week worried that the team got duped. Um, Mike McCarthy advertised himself as somebody who uh, was, you know, experienced an awakening uh, in an analytical sense. He visited Pro Football Focus, and uh, he really said all of the right things over the course of the offseason. And obviously, we had no football to measure that up against, so everything really feel, uh, felt rosy and hunky-dory. But um, nothing he did from a data standpoint jives with the analytical prowess he preached all offseason long, which is concerning. Uh, you know, if you look at, you know, a lot of people have been roasting him for how much pre-snap motion they didn't use, and they used more than the Falcons, to be fair, uh, but, but they were still near the bottom of the pack when it comes to the NFL. And you know, a lot of people believe that's kind of a foundational principle of, of analytics and football and whatnot. And there was there was none of that. And in fact, you know, they were very basic and they were very flat and they were very vanilla. And on defense, they really just got severely outcoached. If you look at Jared Goff's passing chart, 
uh, from week one. I think he mm-hmm. threw past 10 yards six times. Uh, I mean, it was just Ooh. constant, uh, constant screens, constant dump offs, constant things in the flat because of all the pre-snap motion they were using. The Cowboys were just biting, you know, their linebackers or, yeah, I read, speaking of pro football focus in July, and we wrote about this, uh, they touted the Cowboys as having the second best linebacking group in the NFL. And at Blog and the Boys were all like, are you sure? <laughs> you know, because it, it, it felt really, uh, really kind, even with a healthy Leighton Vanderesh. And um, Jalen Smith is kind of the, the player face of the flack the Cowboys are, are getting this week from their fans. Um, but I, I think, you know, to, I guess, get to a roundabout way of saying it, they just were not who they said they were going to be. They were more of the same. It looked very much like last season, which is why a lot of people are a little bit on the edge right now. Gina, uh, those words sound uh, spooky and, and familiar for Falcons fans. How, you know, that juxtaposition of what RJ just said about the head coaching and a lack of changes. Do you feel that in your bones as a Falcons fan? Yeah, I do. And I had the pleasure of being on um, a podcast I we recorded yesterday. I think RJ, it goes up tomorrow. It's called Girls Talking Boys. That is part of the Blogging the Boys podcast lineup. And we did talk about the similarities between these teams, you know, two coaches that are usually pretty set in their ways. Um, you know, the defense just doing what it does. And then, you know, having the talent on offense, but not really being able to get it done nonetheless. So yeah, way too many similarities. Um, I would like to have fewer teams like the Falcons reminding me <laughs> of how annoying the Falcons are. <laughs> uh, I, I have to confess, and I think I mentioned this the last time RJ was on the podcast. Um, I grew up in a house where my mom was a hardcore Cowboys fan and I grew up a Cowboys fan for uh, you know the better part of my young life. So uh, even to this day, my mom still has literally tape recordings, uh, VHS tapes of all the Cowboys Super Bowls, and she will still pull them out and watch them. Uh, so when, when RJ mentions this uh, and these pains, I, I can only help. I get a phone call from her every Sunday. Uh, and the first thing that comes out of her mouth is, did you see the Cowboys play? And I'm like, oh, mom. <laughs> Don't, I, can't, I can only take the, the pain of being a Falcons fan. I can't handle... Uh, taking on the misery of, of what the Cowboys went through on Sunday as well. Um, so with that, let's let's jump into how these two teams, both 0-1, both looking to bounce back in week two, how they're going to match up. And I want to start with uh, the Cowboys offense going up against this um, <clears throat> Falcons defense. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's an accurate word for what we saw on Sunday. Um, <laughs> I will. It, let me ask this first. Um because I think this is going to play a little bit into the game, um, along with Gina's dog. Uh, Wait, that the, was uh, my dog this yep. time. I think that that was RJ's dog. Oh, <laughs> it was. He's he's really offended uh, that 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 I'm hating on his favorite team. <laughs> oh man, I'm so used to um, Baxter and, and the like jumping in, but uh, uh, it's all good. Um, it, RJ, I want to ask you this um, before we get into the specific matchups. Uh, obviously, you know, Dak Prescott last year, a lot was made about this astronomical number he was asking for. And obviously this offseason, we have Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, both getting deals that essentially set the market at what that number was for, for Dak Prescott, which is right around 40 million per year. Um, do you think that number is going to happen now? Is Jerry going to pay up for, 
his quarterback of the future, or, or is there some controversy about that in Dallas? No, I absolutely think that number is going to happen. I, I think that, you know, and, and, and people freak out, you know, however you frame this or put this, but, you know, franchise quarterbacks aren't this, you know, it's not a matter of, well, you're not better than whoever, so you don't get to be paid as much. It's a matter of, are you a franchise quarterback? Yes or no. So you get the going right. rate and, and the going rate is $40 million. And that's a, that's a principle that a lot of Cowboys fans either choose not to or can't understand. Um, and, you know, it was, it was kind of not a joke, but it was, it was definitely a fabrication that Dak asked for $40 million last year, which is the irony of it all that he's now absolutely <laughs> going to make that. But the, the Cowboys, people love to sort of crown their front office and, and say that they're really great at drafting. And they certainly, you know, they, they are good in the first round and, and that's really nice, but they are terrible at predicting what the market is going to look like. And if you look at all of their mm. long-term contracts, they, they go down to the wire, they, they take a long time, uh, and they generally lose every bet that they're in. You know, recently, uh, last year, Demarcus Lawrence, who had played on the franchise tag already for a year, threatened not to get shoulder surgery, which he needed and needed to heal up, uh, until he got a long-term deal. And so the Cowboys had to blink and pay him what he wanted. Obviously, Ezekiel Elliott held out and went to Cabo. That's well documented and got what he wanted. And for some reason, the Cowboys have decided to put their foot in the ground when it comes to the most important player on their team. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but the other lesson that people really can't seem to sort of understand is, I, I believe it was Matt Ryan that was the first quarterback to hit the $30 million per year club. Yes. And that was two years ago. And, you know, and now it's like, dude, he's only making $30 million. We, this is awesome. I mean, we have him at such a bargain. And the thing is, you blink, and that's the way the quarterback market works. And the Cowboys yep. had an opportunity to beat Jared Goff, to beat Carson Wentz, to beat Russell Wilson, who got his extension last year. They had an opportunity this year to beat Pat Mahomes, to beat Deshaun Watson. They have let all of those deals beat them because they don't understand this really basic fundamental principle. Um, and next year, Lamar Jackson is eligible for a contract extension. And anytime you bring that up, people say, well, Dak's not as good as Lamar Jackson. It doesn't matter. He's, doesn't matter. He's, he's going to get paid just as much, if not more, because of the position that he plays. Yeah. The replacement, the replacement cost is far more severe than $40 million per year. Um, all right. Back to this matchup. I, I thought that would be interesting because, uh, as you noted, ton of contracts between last year and now, and obviously – uh, for Falcons fans, I do think uh, many of them look back and say, oh, Matt for 30 a year is a bargain uh, compared to what the market is setting now. So as you said, get in early or you're going to pay the price. What yeah, was that, Gina? That is not what they were saying when he got that deal. I'm pretty sure that no. they were you know, reacting in shock and horror. But um, yeah, it changes very quickly. Yeah. Like, as RJ said, let's, what, two years? I mean, it's, it's a stunning, you know, stunning uh, escalation in the market. Um, all right. Uh, the Falcons defense, Cowboys offense. First, I want to start in the trenches um, because I think there is a perception um, around the league that the Cowboys offensive line uh, is one of the top units in football. And uh, RJ, I want to ask you specifically, since you've seen this team, I, I've looked at the names and it, it seems like this isn't necessarily that same dominant unit that was one of the top two, top three units, uh, you know, for several years there. Obviously, Travis Frederick is gone. Uh, uh, Leo Collins is not there. Um, what does this uh, Cowboys offensive line really look like? Is it still a really good unit, or are there some weaknesses that concern you? 
I think that that's a great point. Um, I think, you know, I, I think right now the Cowboys offensive line is like Pizza Hut, right? Like it's a big name um, <laughs> that is like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, I think we all know, we could all, and I mean, I don't know, um, this may be a, more of a point for Gina. If Pizza Hut's ever a sponsor for us, I retract everything that I, I'm about to say. Uh <laughs> But, I, I, like, we can all probably name, like, whether locally or nationally, like, at least five to six pizza chains that are better. Like, Pizza Hut's like, man, you know, Domino's doesn't deliver to this neighborhood or whatever, and you just kind of end up settling for it. Um, and so, <laughs> and that, that's a little bit too harsh, I think, but that's kind of where the Cowboys are at. Like, they're just a name brand at this point. Tyron Smith's still one of the best left tackles in the NFL, right. but but he's he's going to miss time every year. That is an absolute fact. In fact, I don't know exactly when this is going up, but we're recording on Thursday. He missed practice on Thursday because of a neck injury. So there's all sorts of panic over that. Um, you mentioned Lyle Collins, who's on injured reserve. There's rumors that he showed up to camp out of shape, which is hard to you know prove or anything, obviously, in today's climate. Uh, right. And you know, to that point, the Cowboys started an undrafted free agent rookie, uh, Terrence Steele, out of Texas Tech at right tackle last week, which was not something. Actually, you know, he was okay, but uh, at the end of the game, uh, the Rams were certainly able to take advantage of that. Inside, the Cowboys have Connor Williams, a left guard, who's been one of the more disappointing offensive linemen that they've invested in. At center, they have Joe Looney, who did fill in uh, for Travis Frederick in 2018. Uh, when Travis was batting, uh, battling Guy and Barry syndrome. And at right guard, they've got Zach Martin, who's still probably the best guard in football. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a battled or a battered group right now, uh, which is a bit concerning given that it's week two. Uh, and, you know, as I'm sure you both remember, it is not a good idea for the Cowboys to go into a game against the Falcons without Tyron Smith as uh, Dak Prescott learned a pretty painful lesson three years ago. Yeah. 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 Question about um, that, um, on the depth chart, uh, Terrence Steele apparently is the backup left tackle, too. So if Smith, oh, wow. can't, go, yeah, if Smith can't go, then what do they do at right tackle? Alex well, looks like the guy on the depth chart. Well, uh, their other backup tackle, Cam Irving, was placed on injured reserve this week. So, oh, my uh, word. <laughs> yeah, so the Cowboys have an undrafted free agent from a year ago, Brandon Knight, who was actually probably their most impressive rookie in 2019, to put in perspective how bright and shiny their draft class was last year. Um, so it's possible if Tyron Smith is not fully capable of going, for what it's worth, NFL Network's Jane Slater reported that he is expected to play, uh, according to her source. But it is possible that there could be two undrafted free agent players in their first and second years, one of them playing their second NFL game ever going up against the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Gina, hearing that and seeing what we saw last week uh, with uh, the, I'm going to call it the three-headed monster of Grady Jarrett, uh, Dante Fowler Jr., and Tat McKinley, uh, do you feel like this is an area where maybe the Falcons actually have a beneficial matchup, uh, especially, uh, you know, I, I feel like Jarrett is always going to get his accolades because he's clearly, you know, one of the best pass rushing uh, defensive tackles in the league. But the person who really uh, surprised me was Tack McKinley, who looked like his hair was on fire for the entire game. So do you like this matchup based on what you just heard from RJ and, and the Cowboys offensive line? I do. I would like this matchup better if um, Adrian Claiborne were still on the team. <laughs> I had to do it. Um, but I will say this. There, there is a caveat, and that is um, 
the pass rush only works well if the secondary can cover and the Falcon secondary is a big mm-hmm. yikes. So that's the one concern that I have about this. You know, if, if they're having to run around trying to keep containment on receivers, um, you know, it's going to make things a lot more difficult for the defensive line. Yeah. And to that note, uh, Gina, I'll stay with you for this next group. And you just mentioned them, the, the defensive secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, we have got a rookie, which it's tough enough for rookies to come in the NFL and start at corner, mm-hmm. but for one to do it without much of a training camp and with no preseason games has got yeah. to be a very difficult road. And then you've also got, you know, other young guys, Isaiah Oliver, uh, you've got Kendall Sheffield, who's probably still not going to play. Yeah. Um, but actually, I, I think the thing I was most surprised and disappointed by was the poor play of uh, like Ricardo Allen. So uh, where do you feel like this team is? Do you feel like the secondary is better than this? Or did that performance on uh, in week one concern you? I think, unfortunately, that that performance is probably representative of where the secondary is right now. Um, the thing that concerns me, like you said, without any kind of preseason games, I mean, I remember Desmond Trufant and he went to a Pac-12 school, so they were on quarters and he came in very late. And I remember him, you know, going up against Roddy White and Julio Jones on like he would cut in line to go against them in drills because he wanted to get better. But still, like when he came into camp, he looked terrible because he was just a step slow. The speed of the game is very different. And so it's just I think that without any kind of preseason corner is one of the positions where you're going to see rookies have a much, much more significant learning curve. And Plus losing Trufant, you know, and and with Sheffield out, it just is, they're very, very shaky back there. So I just don't have a lot of confidence in the secondary right now. I think it's a situation where they'll get better as the year goes on and as these guys, these guys get more experience. But yeah, um, I think that what we saw in week one, unfortunately, is about where they are right now. Yeah. Um, And RJ, for the for the Cowboys, uh, who is Dak Prescott going to be throwing to outside of Amari Cooper? And uh, let me say this first. I feel like Amari Cooper is one of those receivers where the hype coming out of college was not his fault, but obviously following up someone like Julio Jones uh, probably uh, made it impossible for him to get a clean read in the NFL. Um, but I feel like his career post uh, uh uh, oh, the Raiders. Sorry, <laughs> I forgot where he came from. <laughs> that he has had a much better career in Dallas uh, as a number one wide receiver. Uh, so, other than him, who else uh, should Falcons fans be worried about uh, with this young secondary that looks like they're going to have some growing pains? Well, uh, you know, Amari is definitely one of the more interesting players in the NFL, and um, and you know, the Cowboys have been very different since they traded for him two years ago. Um, but other than him, the Cowboys have Michael Gallup, who is a really incredible receiver in his own right. He was uh, the player, obviously, involved in the controversial offensive pass interference play. Uh, and then, of course, they have the player that the Atlanta Falcons passed on, which should be said a thousand times in CeeDee Lamb. Um, <laughs> and and CeeDee Lamb, I, there's you know so much hype. And I thought played well uh, in, in his first game in the NFL. But the Cowboys offensively didn't really get a chance to, to do what they wanted from an aerial perspective, but um, Blake Jarwin, their starting tight end, was lost to a torn ACL last week, and so they played Dalton Schultz, uh, who went to Stanford, where all NFL tight ends go, and, uh, you know, and, and so, I mean, you know, that, that really affected what they were able to do offensively. There are a lot of things that Dalton Schultz kind of um, stepped on or got in the way of that disrupted 
different drives and different opportunities the Cowboys were trying to present themselves against the Rams. So, um, I, but, you know, they have, you know, with the exception of the one night that counted towards their season, they have involved uh, their running backs, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, both in the passing game. And so there are a lot of options, but to the point we made a minute ago, I mean, if there's not enough time for Dak Prescott, there's not going to be enough time for anything to develop in general. Uh, to that point, does this offense still run through Ezekiel Elliott or has it shifted more to be in Dak Prescott's hands? I think that it's most successful when it runs through Dak. And I think that most, you know, offenses are I, across the NFL. You know, I think that there are very rare exceptions. I think Tennessee is, is kind of one. I think Carolina's one. Um, but the Cowboys have refused to use Ezekiel Elliott in the passing game, or at least refused to do so in the Jason Garrett era. And so that's why people are really excited about that. But the Cowboys were one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL last year, and it was because they let Dak loose and, and they let him kind of dominate. And, and a lot of that was really attributed to Kellen Moore, who was their offensive coordinator for the first time last year. But, you know, Kellen has kind of dried up and has kind of lost a little bit of his luster. And there are people starting to turn on him, too. Um, so I, I don't think that there's a Cowboys – well, I shouldn't say that. There, most Cowboys fans don't doubt um, that this offense has the personnel to be great if it is funneling through Dak Prescott. It's just a matter of whether the Cowboys are going to let that happen. Or not. Wow. Uh, Gina, given what we saw uh, Russell Wilson do, I, and I may have this wrong, uh, I'm, I'm spitballing this here, but I think he only had four uh, incompletions in the entire game, which is sort of a, a massive indictment. And I, if I remember right, uh, some advanced stats said that he uh, did he he threw into the fewest tight windows in week one, which was really an indictment of uh, again the Falcons secondary, as you pointed out. Um, Dak Prescott is similar, I, I guess, from the standpoint that he seems to be able to extend time uh, and, and make plays happen. Uh, sometimes in the miraculous fashion, the same way that Russell Wilson can. Does that concern you with what we saw uh, in week one from the Falcons defense? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, you know, this is a nightmare matchup based on what we saw last week. And here's one of the primary reasons that I feel that way. Um, Raheem Morris said, I believe, yesterday that, um, you know, the issue was that the defense keyed in on the run. They were focused on stopping the run, which... I was afraid that they were going to do. And um, it's one of the reasons I recommended people start Russ and DK Metcalf last week and fantasy and DFS. And, you know, they're going to have to key in on the run again this week because of week. And so, yeah, if it's just the sequel to week one, we are not going to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, to that point, how critical do you think Deion Jones will be in this game? We, we saw last week when he shoots the gap, he is absolutely one of the fastest, most dynamic linebackers in the league. Do you think he is going to be key for keeping uh, Ezekiel Elliott contained in this game? I do, but I also think that it's worth being realistic about the fact that Zeke is hard to contain. Um, he's just right. a dude. And so it's going to take more than just Dion to slow him down. Um, Dion's great but he is a little bit undersized. That's part of the reason he's so fast. And so that's, that's a big concern for me. Like, you know, I'm a big fan of the Ohio state university. So I've been watching 
Ezekiel Elliott for a long time. And um, I mean, he, the dude is a bowling ball. Like, he will just run you over. So that's why it's a concern for me. I think that it's it's just going to be a uh, it's going to be a challenging matchup. This are the Falcons defense against the Cowboys offense across the board. Yeah, I think anyone who comes in this game feeling extremely confident in the uh, uh, Falcons defense is uh, is probably uh, living in 2017, <laughs> the last time we had a decent defense. Um, so yeah, this is not, in my opinion, a favorable matchup. Uh, if anything, I think where the Falcons have to win is going to be in the trenches, as we mentioned at the very beginning of this segment. Uh, so we're going to flip the script. We're going to look at how this Falcons offense compares to uh, this banged up Cowboys defense and, and how those injuries may actually uh, play a role in this game. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. We are back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker. I'm here with my co-host, Gina Kelly, and we are joined by RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys. We're talking about the Falcons' upcoming matchup with the Cowboys in week two. Both teams are 0-1, looking to bounce back from uh, disappointing performances in their opening games. So let's talk now about this Falcons offense and this uh, Cowboys defense. Um, first of all, the injuries. RJ, I know uh, Sean Lee uh, was already on IR uh, before the season began, and then you lost Vander Esch. Uh, how big of an injury was that, and what does this Cowboys uh, linebacking core look like now? Uh, it's, you know, it's probably the worst injury they could have sustained on defense. I mean, to, to, <laughs> to be blunt, uh, especially because, you know, Jalen Smith is a really, really well-known story. Uh, and he's a remarkable story. And, and the fact that he's even in the NFL is incredible and a testament to his own drive, his own will, and really the marvels that are medicine and science and biology and all that jazz. However, he is really, unfortunately, not that great at the present moment at playing linebacker in the NFL. And Leighton Vanderish kind of mitigates his flaws and puts him in positions to be successful. Um, and so to not have Leighton Vanderish is to not have Jalen Smith as well. And you mentioned it, Sean wow. Lee was already on injured reserve. Um, and so things will now funnel through Jalen Smith. And that, they did not function that well for the Cowboys last year when they did that because Leighton also missed time, which is why a lot of Cowboys fans are really down. It does seem like this is going to be his uh, his career. A lot of people feel that way. A lot of people have equated him, obviously, to the guy he, ironically, has been trying to replace in Sean Lee, dealing with injuries constantly throughout his career. But um, the Cowboys, the next man up is Joe Thomas. Uh, who, you know, A lot of people make the jokes about the Cleveland Browns and everything. Uh, he, um, he had experience playing with Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. Uh, but joined the Cowboys, uh, I think it was a year ago, maybe two years ago now. Um, and so that's it. It's Joe Thomas and Jalen Smith. Um, the Cowboys did sign Rashad Smith off of the practice part of the Chicago Bears this week. They have an undrafted free agent on their team. And again, the Cowboys really leaning on some undrafted free agents here. 
that they really like from Utah in Francis Bernard. But, and I admittedly don't know why, um, the only way that they could keep or that they could acquire Rashad Smith in the Bears practice squad and not lose Francis Bernard off of their practice squad was to sign Rashad Smith to their 53-man roster and protect Francis Bernard. There's some NFL transactional rule that makes that tricky and sticky for them. So Rashad Smith is part of the 53 this week. So Francis Bernard, as much as they like him, will not be playing against the Falcons. Wow. Uh, Yeah, when I saw the Van Der Esch injury come across the wire, I I thought to myself, that that one is going to hurt more than anything. Um, and that middle of the defense is going to become a, a, a big weakness now. Uh, so, Gina, rather than go into the trenches where we started uh, in the first half, I want to work on the outside and, and come back in um, because I, I feel like that matchup in the middle is going to be a critical one, especially with this Cowboys unit. But we're going to go there last. I want to talk about what the Falcons did on Sunday. Granted, uh, a lot of that was in garbage time, but they literally had three – 100-yard receivers in a single game. Uh, Matt Ryan had his second-highest yardage total in his career, second only to the 500 yards that he put up on the Carolina Panthers in uh, 2016 when Julio had 300 receiving yards. But in this game, yeah, Julio Jones, nine receptions. um, Calvin Ridley, nine receptions. Russell Gage, nine receptions. All guys, all three guys got over 100 yards. Is this – are you surprised by that – sort of level of performance. I know we all expected Ridley to sort of take the next step. I'm sort of stunned that Russell Gage has so quickly emerged as a wide receiver three that is really performing well. What, what are your thoughts on this trio that had this massive game on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, it, that was really the only fun part. Uh, was yeah. <laughs> Tear it up. Um, Ryan, we all we all know that he's always capable of putting up big numbers like that. But yeah, to get Russell Gage along with Julio and Calvin to over 100 yards, that was really something special. Um, Gage, you know, I feel like he's a guy that we've all, you know, had good feelings about for a while. He has shown flashes here and there. And again, you know, without a preseason, it feels like it came out of nowhere. But it seemed like he had a pretty good camp. Um, just based on reports out of that. And, you know, obviously he's had a couple of years now to develop his chemistry with Matt and it seems to be all clicking. So, you know, I don't know if that's something that that they're going to be able to duplicate week in and week out. And I think that part of the reason that Gage was able to blow up like that is because, you know, while no NFL fans were really expecting Russell Gage to go over 100 yards, neither were the Seahawks. And so I think that that (laughs) helped. Um, But you also have to remember, Calvin and Julio are always going to draw the top cornerbacks. And so that's going to, much like Taylor Gabriel in 2016, create more opportunities for Gage, I think. So, I mean, he is a guy to definitely keep an eye on. And clearly his timing is down with Matt. Clearly he's running the routes that Matt expects him to run um, based on his performance in week one. So, you know, while he's probably not going to have over 100 yards every week, I think that he may end up being a pretty fundamentally important part of this offense. Yeah, and uh, to that point, I mean, he for him to get the same number of targets, uh, 12 for each of the receivers, to me, uh, I'm a big believer that your quarterback tells you who he believes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's throwing a lot to one guy and not to the other guys, your quarterback is telling you that he doesn't believe in those other guys. What I saw on Sunday was Matt saying, um, I love the receivers you've given me. Uh, and that's 
pretty heavy praise considering he's got one of the best receivers of all time on the outside. Um, RJ, on that note, uh, I, I will be honest with you. I don't know much about the corners uh, that you guys are going to be starting on Sunday. So give us a primer on who is going to match up against uh, Julio Jones, who's going to match up on Calvin Ridley, uh, and how you feel about those matchups. Well, um, it's possible that the Cowboys get Jordan Lewis uh, back for this game. He missed week one. He's probably the, the best veteran corner on their team, uh, part of the 2017 draft class, along with Chita Bayouze. Uh, they're both playing, you know, in, in their contract years, obviously. And and they're, they've been fine draft picks for the Cowboys. They haven't really been anything special. Uh, second and third round pick, I think you would have obviously liked to see more. But uh, their careers have just kind of been what they have been. But a lot of people feel like that they were wasted by Chris Richard over the last couple of years. But um, what the Cowboys do have uh, is, is something I think that they're really proud of right now. And Trayvon Diggs, their second round draft pick out of Alabama. Uh, Trayvon, obviously the younger brother of Stephon. Uh, really, I, I thought played extremely well uh, against the Rams, was one of the best defensive players on the team. Uh, and the fact that, you know, he's obviously got the confidence of the team to start. Some of that is, you know, opportunity born out of injury. Uh, really says a lot about what he's able to do already at the NFL level. But uh, it'll be him. It'll be Cheetah Bear Wuze. It'll be Daryl Worley. It'll be Anthony Brown. I mean, it, it will just kind of be... Uh, you know, getting by. I mean, Trayvon, I think, marks the beginning of, of a different shift in terms of philosophy at cornerback, but um, the Cowboys don't have a lot of players like that yet. So I, I think, you know, there are a lot of Cowboys fans who are absolutely concerned about what the Falcons can do offensively and through the air. Yeah, and, and there's a reason I, I wanted to start out there because for Falcons fans, I think that's where the story is really positive. And as we work inside, it, it becomes less so, <laughs> um, especially in this matchup. Um, and before we get to that point, uh, you know, the the Falcons have brought in several notable free agents. We mentioned one in the first half, you know, with Dante Fowler as a pass rusher. I think probably the, the biggest name or maybe the second biggest name was uh, Todd Gurley. Uh, and Gina, you know, week one, obviously the team's probably still getting used to him, getting used to his, his abilities. I thought he looked good for the first several series. Obviously, mm-hmm. as this game script went on the second half, they had to move away from him as they, you know, started falling behind. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel about the running back play from the Falcons? Not just Gurley, but, uh, you know, behind him, we, we did see Brian Hill, Edo Smith get involved a little bit. Um, we, we heard the emphasis, we're going to establish the run. And, did it succeed? Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I thought that Gurley looked good early on. Um, you know, I, I it the, the running backs were okay. I mean, like you said, it's very hard to gauge just because the game got out of hand and they didn't have any choice but to just let Matt sling it in the second half. So it's really hard to say. I mean, I thought that they looked fine. One of the things I'm concerned about with the run game this week is that Jake Matthews is on the injury report. I think that he was back to limited today. I don't think that he was. He was. Okay, good. Um, so that's at least encouraging. But um, yeah, I mean, I just I just hope that the Falcons don't go they, they don't get too far behind to actually keep the running game going. Um, I felt like Gurley was doing really well, but then you know when you're not able to keep giving him those touches because you're trying to catch up, it breaks that rhythm, and then there's just not much that that you can do from there. And with with what we know now about the Cowboys linebackers as well, do you think that? Gurley's opportunities in the passing game and maybe someone like Hayden Hurst that the Falcons really should try to look to involve them more because Hurst only had I think three catches in week one we heard a lot about him his athleticism 
uh, in replacing Austin Hooper. Are those two guys that you think the Falcons, Dirk Cutter, Matt Ryan need to target a little bit more this week to have some success? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, you know, and I think that, again, like I keep going back to 2016, and I mentioned that, you know, with the spreading it around between those top three receivers, um, this offense was at its best when Matt Ryan was spreading the ball around both to, you know, receivers, but also to tight ends and to running backs out of the backfield. And so I would really like to see them, you know, diversify what they're doing more and um, spread that ball around because I feel like they do have so much talent at those skill positions. Hayden Hurst didn't have, you know, he didn't blow us away or anything, but he had a couple of big catches. Uh, the one, the one catch in particular was a catch that Austin Hooper would not have been able to make. Right. And so, um, yeah, I'd really like to see them get more receivers involved, including, I mean, Ito Smith is a decent, at least, you know, he has been um, a decent receiver out of the backfield. Gurley certainly, certainly has that ability. Um, and so I'd really like to see them spread the ball around more, try to hit as many receivers as possible, because when you've got Julio and Ridley on the field and defense have to account for them, you're going to have other guys who are able to get open. So I would like for Dirk, and this I know is asking a lot, <laughs> I, but I would like for Dirk to maybe not be so vanilla for the entire game and maybe oh. be a little bit more creative shake it up a little bit yeah I feel like we have to get Dirk stoned for the game for that to happen but <laughs> um I yeah I I don't have a ton of faith in that um all right it's time to move into the trenches uh, where we're going to close out this comparison but I, I feel like this is where um at least in the impression I've gotten from Falcons fans, Falcons fans are the most terrified because uh, when we look across the field and, and I, you know, the Falcons offensive line, I think has played well. We'll get to them in a second. Um, but when I look at Alvin Smith, Everson Griffin, uh, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, it, it across the board, uh, you know, you guys brought in Don Terry Poe. Um, you still have Tyrone Crawford, this defensive line, I actually woke up in a sweat last night thinking about what they might do to Matt Ryan. So RJ, should I be scared? Is this, are they living up to the billing Um, or can I sleep a little bit better at night? uh, Not having to worry about Matt Ryan. You know, that's probably the strength of the Cowboys defense, which I I think became a possibility when they signed Everson Griffin and, Everson really wasn't that active in, in week one, but you mentioned Alden Smith. He certainly was. I, I said that Trayvon was one of the best defensive players. I thought that Alden Smith was was without question the best defensive player on the Cowboys in their season opener and, and maybe arguably the best player overall. Uh, and, and that's really been an incredible reclamation project for the team. They, they signed yeah. him on April 1st, which was, you know, obviously, you know, there were a lot of headlines and, and things just because it was so hard to believe. Um, but he obviously is one of the more talented pass rushers uh, over the last decade or so. And so to have this career revival, he's certainly made his fair share of mistakes. But uh, by all accounts, he's somebody that's on the path to recovery, which is, is a really you know great story to root for. Um, but Demarcus Lawrence, I think, is, is it's hard to be a cowboy and be underrated. Uh, but Demarcus Lawrence, I think, <laughs> is one of the more underrated pass rushers in the NFL. Uh, along the interior, they lost Joe McCoy before the season began, which was a huge bummer. Uh, you mentioned Don Terry Poe really didn't live up to much. Uh, but I, I think, you know, if, if Alden Smith was their best defensive player last week, I think that Tristan Hill was their second best. He's there. Uh, they didn't have a first-round pick last year, obviously, because of the Amari Cooper trade. But Tristan Hill was their first selection, who they took in the second round, and really just had an awful rookie year. 
Uh, it was really similar to Taco Charlton, who obviously flamed out with the Cowboys. Uh, but the coaching change has really done a lot for him, and, and he really, really played well. Um, and so he's maybe the best option, uh, to my own surprise, that the Cowboys have inside. Uh, but, yeah, wow. that defensive line group is is nice, and it, it hasn't been that way in a long time. Yeah. Um, Gina, the, the Falcons' offensive line, they've got a, arguably uh, maybe one of their toughest matchups this year, uh, on paper at least. Obviously, every game is uh, based on how they play. But uh, this Falcons' offensive line, you know, they have put a lot of investment into it. Um, literally right now starting five former first-round picks, Jake Matthews, James Carpenter, Alex Mack, Chris Lindstrom, Caleb McGarry. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we know Alex Mack, Jake Matthews, they, they've been sort of the stalwarts of this line. Carpenter played well, and actually the entire unit played well from a pass uh, protection standpoint. Um, but what, where is your confidence level with this group, especially the right side, where we've got two guys who are in their second year in Chris Lindstrom uh, and Caleb McGarry, both – First, first round picks from 2019. Where is your confidence level, especially in this matchup? Yeah, I would say that it's, you know, not at its peak, but I do feel much better about this unit than I did last year. Um, they've just had, even though it's been a very weird off season, they have had another off season and, and preseason period without any games, but, you know, to gel. Um, <laughs> Thomas Dimitrov's favorite. Word. Oh, man. Um, and so I do feel, I feel better about this unit than I would have felt last year at this time. Um, this is a very difficult matchup. I think that it's going to be a really tough test for them. And I think that we'll have a much better, a much clearer picture of where this offensive line is in terms of their cohesion and their chemistry after week two. But going into this, I mean, yes, I'm concerned about the talent that they have along that defensive line. Um, but I do think that you know, this is a better unit than we saw last year. And so I'm, I'm, I feel better. Uh, you know, it's impossible to be like at peak confidence with the Falcons ever. That, <laughs> that was, that confidence has been gone from my life for many, many, many years and right. many years. But um, yeah, I mean, in general, like I do feel better about them. I don't, they are not my biggest concern going into this game <laughs> that, that I've always been able to play. <laughs> Yes, uh, I, I think you said that perfectly. Um, I will say, Jake Matthews, uh, when he has struggled, and he is not the best left tackle in the league, uh, he is he is a good left tackle. I don't think he's the best. Uh, but when he has struggled, it has traditionally been against guys like Everson Griffin. Um, so that is a matchup I will definitely be watching uh, this weekend. So based on what we have talked about, uh, it really sounds like this game is going to be determined in the trenches, which many people would argue is how it is always determined. Um, and it sounds like really it's going to be, you know, whether uh, each defense can uh, consistently pressure the uh, the other quarterback. And uh, otherwise, it, this feels like this is uh, maybe a, a toss up uh, with the way that uh, the different position groups match up. Um, so with that, let's give our predictions for this game and, and close out this podcast. Um, RJ, since you have uh, uh, joined us uh, as a special guest, I want to ask you first for your prediction and how you see this one playing out. I'm not quite at, at the point where I'm ready to pick against the Cowboys. Um, this is a team that a lot of people thought really highly of you know, a week ago. 
And, and I think there's fair reason for that. You know, the Cowboys visit the Seahawks themselves next week. And so um, I, I, I'll probably pick against them in that game. And so I think the, the prospect of starting off 0-3 is just too much for me to bear. Uh, and so I'll, I'll pick the <laughs> Cowboys, but I think it will be close. I, I, th- I think that the Falcons are, are going to look functional um, in a solid way. And I think the Cowboys, um, you know, I, I, I think it's either this is, you know, this is obvious, but I think it's either going to be, I mean, like a last second field goal, just, you know, sigh of relief type thing, or the Cowboys are going to blow them out because that's, you know, <laughs> e- either Mike McCarthy's vision, you know, hits or, you know, it's more the same. Uh, but I'll take the Cowboys something like 27, maybe 27, 20, 27, 23. And, and I feel solid there. All right. Gina, how do you feel about this one playing out? So um, I actually have no qualms about picking against the Falcons. I picked against the Falcons (laughs) last week. I'm going to pick against the Falcons this week. You know, I love the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Brandon Lee Gowton, who works with RJ and me and runs our Eagle site, Fleeting Green Nation, shared a tweet with us this week. (laughs) It's from an Eagles fan, and, and the guy said, I'm an Eagles fan, which means I hate the Eagles, and I want them to win more than anything. And that's kind of where I am with the Falcons. Um, so I think that this one could be a high scoring game, but David, I think that you're right. I think it's going to come down to the trenches and which defense is able to get more pressure on the opposing quarterback. And listen, Falcons fans, I know that, you know, many of you have been listening to us for a long time. You know how many times we've lamented the fact that this team really needs a consistent pass rush. Um, I just feel like Dallas is better positioned to get that done. So I think that we're going to be somewhere. I mean, I think it could be a high scoring game I and I think it will be close but I'm thinking maybe more like 31 to 27 all right uh as for me I I, I don't uh, all right I'm gonna go against the flow here uh, I am going to go with the Falcons I'm gonna show a little bit of optimism uh I, I feel like the matchup that is going to favor them is Tack McKinley um, going up against Terrence Steele. Uh, I, I think that the way Tack played, he showed a lot, not just in the speed, but he showed you know some moves that we hadn't seen in the past. Uh, I'm, I'm actually really enthusiastic about what he did in week one, and I think he's going to be a difference maker again in week two. Uh, but I also think it's going to be a close game. Uh, and I, I honestly, I want to see Youngway Koo kick yet another onside kick because at this point he is literally five for five in his NFL career on onside kicks and recoveries, which is the stupidest statistic that has ever existed in the NFL. And yet I want to see it happen again. Um, so a young way coup onside kick with a field goal Falcons win 27, um, 24, uh, <laughs> If it plays out that way, you guys can come back to this podcast and reference it as the most obscure thing you heard this week. Yes. Um, RJ, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, what you've got going on? Uh, well, uh, you can check me out, of course, at bloggingtheboys.com, the home for the best Dallas Cowboys coverage on the internet. I would hope that is um, a shared truth in, in this room. Uh, yes. And, um, you know, you can find me on Twitter uh, at RJOHO. That's sort of a hub for everything I do. Uh, you mentioned it. I'm on uh, a couple of our shows on the Blog of the Voice podcast network, and uh, I am one third, one leg of the tripod of Monday Football Monday, uh, the SB Nation NFL shows Monday show, uh, where you can also hear Gina uh, giving you fantasy advice that you better take or else. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> so uh, hopefully on Monday we're talking about the Cowboys blowing out the Falcons. Uh, but you know, you just never know these days. Yeah, not in this weird, weird season. Um, 
Gina, remind our listeners where they can find you, what you've got going on. Um, well, I'm working on a, a pretty extensive profile of how long I talked to the entire um, Fox NFL Sunday cast for this and his sons, Kyle and Chris. So I got some really great insight. I also talked to Howie quite a bit. It's really funny and it's really poignant. And I think it's going to be really great. That should be dropping on SPNation.com next Tuesday-ish. And then um, you can occasionally find my work at the Falcoholic when I'm not too busy with my day job, which is rare these days. And like RJ mentioned, we do have a whole new lineup of SB Nation NFL podcasts. Um, Amir Tyree from DraftKings Nation and I are co-hosting our Friday show, which is called Football Cheat Sheet. And we will give you all of the information you need to win money and dominate your friends in fantasy this season. So be sure to check that out too. Fantastic. Uh, as for me, guys, you can find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. You can find updates for this podcast at FalcoholicPod. And, of course, you can find our articles daily at TheFalcoholic.com. So for RJ Ochoa and Gina Kelly, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk with you next time.